Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Wedding Network USA podcast. My name is Jason Freshly. I'm the Director of Business Development for Wedding Network USA, and I'm really excited to bring you today's speaker. I was doing a little recon on her, and two things that stood out in my initial look. Someone gave Susan the quote of, she always says the right thing at the right time. And another thing that I took away from her website was she moves it one step forward at a time. She's done a lot of great things. She's got a really great business and it all took just taking the first step. So Cherie, do you want to come in and introduce Susan Sutherland a little bit more? Sure. And we'll have her start talking. Okay. Well, hi, everyone. This is Sheree, president of Wedding Network USA, and um, I'm excited to have Susan Sutherland on board with us today. Actually, I introduced her at Wedding MBA last year or the year before, but the thing that I have really learned about someone like Susan in particular is that she's a strong woman. She's a great mom. She's a great spouse. She runs a great company, all that, and she's still pretty humble although she may make a snarky comment or two after I say that, but <laughs> what I, <laughs> she's, she, she's really a strong businesswoman and she has great business ethics. And those are the kinds of people that we want to bring to you on our podcast so that you have someone to look up to. If you're someone in, um, you know, a, a state where you don't get to go to national conferences and you don't get to hear keynote speakers, um, listen to Susan today, you know, order her books, uh, pay attention to what she's sharing today because she truly is uh, an industry expert and we're just delighted that she found time for us in her schedule even though I fouled up the time a couple times um, <laughs> and uh, we have her today so Susan Sutherland from Just Mary in Florida and Just Events and Just Everything she's just a wonder woman <laughs> So just everything, huh? Just everything. That's what you should be now. <laughs> so welcome, girl. I hope that I can um, live up to all these accolades you all are, are thrusting upon me. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about your business. Where did this name Just Mary come from and Just Events Group and how does it all work? Oh my goodness. So, so the name, it's actually um, a, a not a very exciting story. We were sitting around a kitchen table, my parents and, and I, and we were just tossing around all sorts of names that we could think of. Uh, it, and I can't even remember what the other ones were. It was just kind of this free flowing of ideas. And we stumbled upon Just Mary. And I said, you know, it sounds active. It sounds exciting. So let's go for it. And then when it came to naming the other parts of my company that I opened, we wanted to stick with the Just. We worked with Just and figured out other things that would go well with it. So Just Events Group then does more than weddings. Yes. Just Events Group is actually now our umbrella company. And under Just Events Group, we have Just Mary, which is weddings. We have Just Right Destination Management, which handles corporate destination management around the country. And we have Just Celebrate, which is the segment of our company that handles mitzvahs and other celebrations. So when you have celebrations from other people, are you still using the same sort of format that you use for Just Mary? I mean, you were able to just kind of take that and extrapolate and go forward? 
Well, it's a little different because our celebrations uh, section, we really are working as consultants. So they hire us just as you think of a typical party planner or wedding consultant. Whereas with Just Mary, uh, while we do have some clients that hire us as traditional wedding consultants, our primary focus is doing things like wedding packages, which actually is more similar to what we do for destination management for corporations. So I don't know if that makes sense to anybody or everybody, but um, you know, they're, they're just different ways of doing business. Exactly. And then one of the things I wanted to know about is kind of how each of the businesses evolved or when one started and then the next one came about and maybe a little bit of how those conversations started and you realize, oh, it's time to expand. Well, Just Mary, of course, was the first to come along. And we found that we were getting requests, you know, off and on again for doing other celebrations. And it always just felt a little awkward uh, dealing with uh, the parent of a bar or bat mitzvah child and, uh, you know, other social events under the name Just Mary. Just associating things with weddings didn't seem to fit that. So that's when we sort of expanded into Just Celebrate and started to pursue more things uh, down that avenue. And I would say the same thing goes with uh, Just Right Destination Management. Actually, today, uh, was it today? Maybe it was yesterday. Seven years. It was our. It was Just Right's seven-year birthday yesterday. And for sure, when it came to working with corporate clients, we didn't want to have weddings in the, in the subject because we just don't think that corporate planners really look at weddings in the same way they would other professional organizations when it comes to destination management. So we changed the name there. So in order to keep our structure, you know, and being able to use all the same resources, we came up with the umbrella company for Just Events Group. So we share the same legal team, we share the same bookkeeping team and insurance, et cetera, et cetera. So we have un- one overriding corporation. Well, happy anniversary to that part of the business because it's a huge step forward. And as people are in the industry, you've taken the concept of starting out as a planner and then move that forward, creating additional revenue streams and new businesses and then having this umbrella company. It's just a brilliant business uh, trend. And it's it's one of those things that other venue, uh, excuse me, vendors I think could do if they had the mindset to try taking on another piece of business. So do you have any tips you could offer some of our listeners about setting up a secondary company or like you have your umbrella company? Tips as far as the legalities or tips as far as just going for it? I mean, just going me, for it. Yeah. Just going for it. And I, I think that's that's the, the biggest piece of advice I can see. Opportunities are around us everywhere. Things come up that inspire us. Things come up that pique our interest. And a lot of people squish them. They think, well, you know, I've already got my hands full or I don't want to risk doing something else when this is going so well. You know, if you if you want to grow, you need to seek out these opportunities and just one step at a time, start trying to make it happen, put, you know, envision what the end result is and start taking steps towards making it happen. And I think one of those is having the ability to understand that nothing is going to be perfect or there's going to be mistakes along the way and it's okay. Absolutely. In fact, you know, I'm not really like a software developer, but I know that a very common thought process among people with all these tech companies is, look, just put something out there, get it moving, and then fix it from there. You know, if you keep if you keep agonizing 
to make something perfect, it will never happen. And if you're not getting feedback from the users or the people that you want to see it, how do you know if it is what they want or if it's just your idea of what you want? Exactly. If you wait until you have something perfectly figured out and perfectly designed, it'll never get off the ground. Well, and somebody else will steal your idea. They'll either steal your idea or you'll be so stuck in the muck trying to perfect it that you'll just never move it forward. And in business, I think, and especially in the wedding industry, trends and purchasing, like the way people buy things and research things, it's always changing. So even if you think you have something all figured out today, by next week, you may have to pivot anyway. So nothing has to be perfect. Yeah, the old adage, done is better than perfect. Get the thing going. Absolutely. You can make course corrections along the way. And I'm sure that when you started doing your first weddings, as I did, things went wrong. You know, I learned something at every event. But that was what grew my business, was learning and and then making changes along the way. It, It was a lot of fun. And I think that for you and your company, moving along into the other events and then the destination corporate side is just huge. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. And it's nice to have a new challenge. I think sometimes people forget that thrill and exhilaration of getting started and getting the business going. Everything was new. Everything was exciting. And then once you hit some sort of threshold of success, I think maintaining is kind of boring. You know, you just, it's constantly worrying about keeping up quality control and worrying about who's breathing down your neck to to jockey for your position. But when you're innovating, when you're doing stuff that's new, um, it feels fresh and exciting. It's not boring. I think we all need that challenge. I agree. I think people tend to get stuck in a rut or on the flip side, they start their business and they're really excited and you see some of these new professionals coming in and networking and meeting and they're very active. They're very out there. They're running, 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 running. And then you hit that point where your business is moving, things are going well, and then you get stuck in a rut and that's when they disappear from networking events or they don't do this or they don't do that. And then a couple years later, they show back up going, where's my business? Yep, absolutely. For sure. Well, Susan is in a unique situation in Florida is that she does a lot of weddings at some of the resorts. Will you talk to us about that a little bit, Susan, that part of the business? Yeah, that's actually something that really, really changed my business. I'd say, you know, I'm thinking now 20, 22 years ago, the the bigger weddings, we kind of took a hit. There was a bit of a recession and I was noticing that people were changing the way they were doing their weddings. And there were people from all over the world coming to Orlando um, and having these little weddings midweek. And so we decided to check that out a little bit and start putting together wedding packages that were similar. But you know, a lot of the resorts didn't wanna have to handle all the details because just because it's a wedding for 15 or 20 people doesn't mean it's less complicated. You know, it, it has a gazillion emails and details to handle. So we offered our services to help capture that revenue for them. Uh, So they really didn't have to do as much work, but they were still, you know, reaping the benefits of having an extra revenue stream. And, you know, someone uh, was kind enough to give us a shot and we're still partners with them all these years later. And that part of the business just keeps growing and and we've added on more resorts. And it's been really it's been wonderful and a lot of fun because we get to to work with so many people all over, you know, and again, all over the world. It's really neat. And I think that's something that's really great to think about is you took the initiative to see that there was something out there that may have had a gap or a hole or an opportunity 
and you didn't sit back, you went for it. And maybe we can go into a little bit of how we spot those opportunities in the wild or we think outside the box and take those steps forward. To me, I'm always looking for things that people are complaining about. If if someone is complaining about it, then someone ha- you know someone can fix it, and that's kind of where I look for all of my solutions. So from this standpoint, the first resort we went to, and I think it's so funny because I'd only been in business a couple of years. The fact that I pushed my way in there to get this meeting and make this happen, it it actually makes me giggle. It was you know. You know, I wasn't worried about ever looking foolish. I wasn't worried about failure. I just went for things. And I try to remind myself, you know, even this many years later to still have that kind of a feeling like who cares if you fail, you have to try something, you know, ultimately, that's what I try to keep doing. But at any rate, I look for things that people complain about, because right in there, if you can offer a solution, you know, the chances of success are pretty good because people are going to be excited about sending that piece of business to you. I really agree with that theory, Susan, and it's it's really in any kind of business. What is the, what's your solution to their problem, whether it's their accounting or whatever it might be, everybody's got issues about every piece of their business. And yet, how many of our wedding professional friends and maybe networking friends tend to sit back on the sidelines and complain? They never do anything about it, but they're really good about being vocal and complaining about what's going on in the industry instead of saying, wow, let's, how does this work? I mean, that's really how I started Wedding Network. There were so many complaints about the lack of a networking organization where, you know, the planner could meet, the officiant could meet, the DJ could meet the florist who dropped off flowers two hours ago. It was about bringing people together. And that was just what we saw was missing. And I know you've done a lot with expanding that business. And how do you handle that whole process of staying focused and productive and still be a mom and, you know, all those things? I know it's tough. Well, some days I handle it better than others, for sure. Uh, There's definitely no perfection on this end. You know, I try to pay attention to how I'm scheduling myself. I really try to make sure there are a particular number of days in the office. And I'm going to tell you right now, the last couple of weeks, I've been an abysmal failure at that. I've been running around like a chicken and getting nothing accomplished. So it's really important to get yourself back and centered and realize that you have particular things to focus on. Multitasking is a myth. You cannot be doing 10 things at one time. And so I try to really focus on this is what I need to get done. I'm not doing anything else until this is finished. And I find that that's extremely efficient because I think I work faster, I work better, and things are actually complete and done instead of having loose ends hanging off of them. Are you using any kind of tools or resources to kind of help maintain all of this that's going on in your world? Yeah, I use Evernote to track a lot of stuff. So when I'm researching and I'm looking for things, I just send it straight to my Evernote and keep my files organized there so I can find them later because I was finding I was wasting a lot of time trying to search for things in emails and look in my search history and bookmarking things. I just that's really works nicely for me. You know, I use a plain old timer. If I have a task that I need to to tackle, I will sit down and I will say, okay, I think this is probably going to be like a 45 minute task. I'll set a timer for 45 minutes. I won't look at my email. 
I won't answer phones. I won't respond to text messages. I just sit and I concentrate and I get that done when the 45 minutes is up. And, and frankly, typically it doesn't usually take as long because I am so focused. But when, when I'm done, then I'll go check out all this other stuff. I think we have so many distractions with social media and the gazillions of ways that people can get in touch with us that you really just have to say to yourself, this isn't happening today. I need to get this done. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to do it until it's done. So that's kind of old fashioned. I, I tell my, um, and I have to be careful the word I use because she'll, uh, she'll start talking to us in the background. But you know, the thing that, that Amazon has made that you can make orders and things like that. I use her to set a timer. <laughs> when it's done, she beeps and tells me the time is up and then I can get up and get moving again. You hear me saying, hey, Siri, all the time. You know, well, you better watch it. My phone is next to the uh, computer here. She may start talking to us as well. Mine may, mine may start beeping too. <laughs> so Susan, when we were at uh, Wedding Emmy, maybe it was last year, you talked about problem clients a little bit. Would you share some of that with us? That was such a great topic. And I think it was one of those things that people in the audience really identified with. And, and you were able to really, I think, bring some light to the topic without, you made it sound as if it is an issue, but it is conquerable and it's not always that, you know, somebody's wrong. And, you know, I mean, I just really like the way you handled that in that talk. So if you could share a little of that. It's interesting that you say that because actually Wedding MBA has asked me to speak this year on when is the proper time to dismiss a client. Um, so I'll be taking the flip side. So what I've, what I've tackled in the past and what, what I truly believe most of the time, managing a client and the client's expectations and pain and suffering that they're going through really just takes empathy. It takes understanding the position that they're in and why they are behaving as such. And I did wholeheartedly admit that some people are just not nice. And, and I've experienced my, it myself. I actually experienced it again recently. I feel like once a year, someone comes through that really shakes us to the core. But for the most part, I think people are reasonable. And if you listen to them and understand where they're coming from and try to work on solutions together, uh, you're able to rehabilitate that relationship. But then you got to know also when to pull the ripcord when something just isn't healthy, when they are taking up so much of your time and so much of your energy that you really just need to let them go. That reminds me of something about the uh, hire slow, fire fast mentality. Absolutely. And I got to tell you, that's something I have not perfected yet. I, I will tell you one of my downfalls in having employees and I have, let's see, there are 12 of us. Um, and having employees, you know, over the years, I've had some real stinkers, and I've known it, and I let it go on way too long. I keep thinking, okay, we're going to make this work, we're going to smooth it over. And sometimes that can have a really adverse effect on the entire company. You know, everybody is affected by one negative person and one person doing things that aren't within sync of everybody else. So I definitely agree, you know, hire slow, fire quickly. I hope one day to learn that lesson. <laughs> I, I probably am not that great at it either. Every once in a while, I catch myself with things. But it's something that is definitely in the background. And I wonder, it's even something that, you know, people may not think about it as we're talking about clients. They may not think about that from a client perspective. But sometimes you just have to say it's time to cut ties. Yeah, because sometimes it's just not a match on either side. And I'd like to hope that we do enough a vetting process during initial consultations to, to help, you know, make sure that we don't book people who aren't right for us. But I know that when you're starting out or when, you know, you have to really make a choice between tolerating somebody versus, hey, I've really got bills to pay. I know it can be really hard to turn business away. Mm -hmm. But 
I cannot think of a single time that I have gone against the little voice in my head and I've said, oh, this person's no good, but I'm sure it'll be okay. I've regretted it every single time. Every single time. I can't think of a single time that worked out. Do you find it different managing clients versus your team versus outside vendors? Do you find that there's some similarities in the way that you navigate all that or some differences? I mean, I think there are similarities in that everyone needs to know each other's expectations, you know, what's expected of me, what do I need to provide them to be successful, and then I need them to know what I expect in return. So the managing expectations, I think, is similar. You know, there are similarities of managing clients versus employees versus colleagues. You know, I think it's important that everybody understands expectations, you know, what they are looking for for me to help make them successful and to, you know, make them feel confident in their event planning. And I also want them to know what I expect of them, how they're going to help me make sure that everything works out. You know, I'm a very positive person. I'm very positive with my team, but certainly I don't look at... I'm trying to think of how to express this because I really don't so much discipline anyone on my team. We have very open conversations and I certainly don't discipline clients, but I've got to say maybe my style is similar with everyone. I'm very open. I'm very honest. I never want anyone to be afraid to tell me anything, whether it's critical or an accolade, whatever it is. So I'd say, yeah, maybe they're, they are all similar. So in all of your talking about managing clients and teams, you talked about you and used me a lot. And it actually made me realize I should have framed the question. When it comes to these managing clients and teams, the first person you have to manage is yourself. And you have to really understand who you are. And so maybe we can talk about how you kind of really make sure you live how you want to be perceived or you're following these guidelines 150% so that people are willing to do it at 100% themselves. You know, I never really think about myself specifically doing things in a certain way. I think I'm a very open and honest person. I'm very willing to take criticism. I enjoy giving praise. Uh, I think I'm just really just open. What you see is what you get. There's nothing hidden. And I think that's why people know what to expect of me. There are no surprises. There's no drama. And I think maybe that is the, the key to, to having everybody understand what exactly is happening and what, what needs to go on. But I think that's a very rare trait. Unfortunately, because we're in a very romantic and sort of a soft side of industry, people tend to get involved with their feelings and they think, oh, if she was, you know, I used to think at a wedding, you know, somebody has to be in charge. Somebody has to be the general. So essentially what you're trying to do is honor your client, uh, get the work done as was specified and move forward. And if there's a hitch, you know, you want to help take the hitch out so that we can make sure that things go smoothly. That's the job of the planner and the planning company. I think Part of that is delivery, not only time, but tone. You know, I try to never correct anybody in front of anyone else, whether it be another vendor or a venue. If there's an issue that's going wrong, you know, if I need to bring it to someone's attention, I will say, listen, okay, here's what we need to fix. We're going to discuss how we got here later because we've got a job to do, but this needs to get handled. And I think also by virtue of the fact I really try to, to make sure I give more praise than criticism. You bet. That the criticism comes across better, you know, when it comes to our colleagues. And I always, you know, and I tell all of my employees to stay above the fray. I don't like engaging in gossip. I don't like being part of it. And so, you know, I feel like by cutting that out, that helps as well. 
Are you still doing things um, for your groups where they have an opportunity to order things online from you for their little destination weddings? Oh, absolutely. We have um, a software program where couples, again, since they're coming from all over the world, we needed to solve the problem of different time zones and, and just organization altogether. So people can actually go to justmarry.com and go into our planning software, which is called Just Plan. And they can set up a profile and go right in there and order decor and officiants and photographers and videographers, all sorts of things. They can just hop right in there, uh, fill up their shopping cart, and we take care of everything for them from there. What a fabulous idea. I mean, I'm sure it came because of the necessity of uh, helping these couples from around the world, but it is a great idea. You know, I know you do a lot in the sort of Disney world, so could you talk about that a little bit, since I've never done a wedding where there was a Disney person? <laughs> <laughs> well, as you might imagine, there are a lot of rules and regulations, um, which I guess is uh, not unlike other places where we work, but you know, there's specific things because of their intellectual property and ways that things have to be handled and if there are characters on site, restrictions as far as being near alcohol and what can also be in photographs with them. Those things can be a little more challenging. Uh, I also work at uh, Universal Orlando Resort quite a bit at their hotel properties and they they too have, have issues like with the um, trend of using drones for things. You know, we just can't do that on Universal property. Again, because of the IP, you know, their intellectual property that they're developing, that things can't be accidentally photographed and, see and seen. So we find ourselves needing to, to work things in that regard. But other than that, you know, they all have wonderful food and beverage and beautiful venues. So I think that it's uh, very similar to working just about anywhere else. And is it fun for your team when we have a character on site or is it just another day in the park? You know, it is magical. It's the only, and I know it sounds so cheesy, but to see people react to the characters, it's fascinating to me. You know, whether they're a hundred years old or two years old, so to watch that reaction is, you know, every single time is amazing. I can think, um, you know, gosh, maybe 15 years ago, I had a couple, it was just the two of them from Japan. And um, at their wedding, and it was at the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin, I think we had um, Mickey, Minnie, Donald, Daisy, Goofy, Pluto. Wow. And I, ugh, if I remember correctly, it's been so long. I think we also had the Beast because I think the Beast danced with the bride. Oh, my. But, you know, there were two of them and we had like eight characters. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I thought that was fascinating. But, you know, they came from Japan. They wanted truly an, an American experience at Disney. And so, you know, it, it led to some really great photo opportunities. But that was really interesting. <laughs> I could just imagine. And it is a great experience. I mean, who doesn't love the happiest place on earth? I'm sorry, but, you know, it's just a great spot. <laughs> so, you know, what other kind of favorites do you have? Do you do anything on cruise? ships or what else is in your area that is a, a is a good hot spot for people you know we've we've done cruise weddings over the years it's not something we specialize in but you know one of the things that I think is so cool about doing something like that and doing a destination wedding and you know I had a destination wedding myself um, Scott and my husband and me and uh, my kids and 50 of our closest friends threw, flew out to Beaver Creek Colorado and we kind of took over Beaver Creek for a few days 
And it's the same thing with the cruise ship. And when you come and you do this kind of destination wedding, you're all there. I mean, one of the most fun things for me was just randomly running into people, walking around the village, and then we'd sit down and join this person for a drink and that person for a snack and this person's at the ice skating rink, but you're all together. And I think it's why the trend in destination weddings is still so strong and powerful is that, you know, the wedding day goes by so fast. If you can extend it and you can really turn this into this, you know, week-long celebration or three-day-long celebration with those that you love the most, I think that's, I think that's pretty amazing, pretty wonderful. Well, it seems like it would take some of the stress away from uh, the bride and groom and, you know, the other people that are involved that, that everything has to be, you know, all done in today. If you've got more time around you and like you said, that more relaxed environment, what a wonderful feeling of being able to share a few days with all of those people that you're closest to. Yeah. And I think it, it's, you know, we have done some destination weddings that were 200, 300 people. Right. I think for, and actually I did one a couple of weeks ago that was 500 people. Oh my goodness. Um, so that doesn't, you know, when they get that big, there is this pressure on the couple <clears throat> and even the family to an extent to make sure everybody's happy. Everyone's having a good time. What's going on. And when it's smaller, I feel like it's, you know, the bride and groom are a lot more relaxed. It's a little more casual. So where did you have a 500 person wedding? Oh my goodness. Well, it was an Indian wedding and it right. was at uh, the Wyndham Resort on International Drive <clears throat> and people came from all over the world and we had, let's see, the caterer and the DJ were from New Jersey and the photographer was from Tampa and the videographer was from here and it was, <laughs> we were managing people coming and going all over the place. It was, it was a wild ride. Sounds like a huge event, but a lot of fun too. So those are the things that we like to, to have in our uh, little portfolio because they remind us that nobody, no two couples are the same and we have to be open to what they want and, and make it work for them. Yes. And it also reminded me that extraordinarily comfortable shoes and a couple of changes of pairs of shoes are essential <laughs> for every wedding planner. And it was funny because man, we worked in about 48 hours. I say my team and I worked about 32 oh, and Susan. we were all just hobbling and I thought oh god I'm getting so old and then I realized all my little 20 something associates were walking as slowly as I was so that made me feel pretty good <laughs> do you guys as an office uh, track steps I tracked my steps and and we were um, Friday we did about 18,000 steps and Saturday was about 15,000 we were a little lazier on Saturday I guess <laughs> <laughs> that seems like it'd be a fun project now that I'm saying that for teams to do a step count at the end of the year based on how many weddings they did. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and only imagine the, the hundreds of thousands of steps we take for a wedding. It's, I cannot even imagine. So I had a curiosity question. Yeah. Do you have some advice or some feedback that people might be able to take away from this if they want to get into destination weddings, even if it's a destination locally in their town where they have these smaller get togethers or weddings that they could help facilitate relatively easily, or if they wanted to branch out and go other places and get their name in another city? You know, I feel like it's all about putting yourself in front of the right audience. If you start posting photos and blogs and things in, in different areas with you, you know, optimize with the proper um, search engine keywords, you'll start getting noticed that way. If you team up with other professionals who might be willing to give you a break, this is in terms of getting out there to travel outside of your city. You know, networking with people in other cities can really go a long way to helping you break into that. You know, and not every city is 
as ripe for destination weddings inbound as Orlando is. You know, there are quite a few out there that are, but I would definitely start uh, getting involved with the Convention and Visitors Bureau or any tourism, you know, marketing arm of the city that you're in and find out how you can get more known for or how you can help couples and reach couples who want to come inbound to your city to have a wedding. Awesome. And I wanted to ask you some questions of what your thoughts are about the future of the wedding industry. Are there some things that you see right now that you're excited about, or are there some things that you're hoping will come about, or maybe even some things you hope kind of will fall by the wayside? You know, the future, I'm cautiously optimistic <laughs> that the wedding industry will maintain. Uh, and the reason I say that is because I find that millennials and beyond really have a different idea of what they want their weddings to be like. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely in my own business and my colleagues' business. I, I, you know, when I look at fellow wedding planners in our area, I feel like as a whole, people are spending less money. I feel like they are having fewer people. I feel like they take something, you know, they'll, they're willing to spend a lot of money on something that means a lot to them, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to spend big across the board. And I can't remember, I was just talking with a wedding planner the other day, and we were chatting about the fact that she had this client booked a wedding in one of the most expensive venues you can possibly book in Orlando, you know, and I think the, the her menu was going to be upwards of $300 a person. But then she wanted to skimp on the photographer, and she didn't want a videographer. And she was talking about going to, you know, the grocery store, essentially, to get some of the flowers. I mean, it was really interesting how she went from this blowout amount of money to then pulling back on everything else. And while that's really an extreme example, I found even in talking with others, like a videographer who's very high end will say, you know, I'm not getting as many referrals from this high end property, but oddly enough, I'm getting a lot of referrals from this mid priced property. And I think that just follows along with my thought that these generations that are getting married, they're typically spending the money themselves. You know, when I started in business, I was typically working with the parents of the bride, and now I'm typically working with the bride and groom, but they're willing to splurge somewhere and they have no problem trying to save somewhere else. So, and I, I don't see that trend changing. I'm also wondering if the number of weddings we're going to be doing is going to be decreasing because I see a lot of millennials uh, who are perfectly happy living together and not even bothering with the formality of a wedding at all. So it'll be interesting to see where things land. I've noticed a little bit about that, the picking and choosing what's important. I do agree that that is something that I think is going to be more and more prevalent, making the choice of what you actually want. You know, Shane McMurray just published this newest report, the wedding report, and he says that expenditures are down. And we're going to talk about that with him. But there was also quite a little article last week that I caught about millennials again and doing that. Uh, the same thing that you said, Susan, about not getting married or choosing to do something smaller or whatever that might be. And, you know, a long time ago, I was working with the head of a catering uh, department in a major hotel in Portland. And he said to me, you know, all couples are different and everybody's high-end in one or two categories. So don't try to advertise or request that you only want to work with high-end couples. What the heck does that mean? You know, maybe they're high-end, maybe she wants a $12,000 dress, but she's happy to go to uh, only having 50 people and, you know, maybe doing flowers from Safeway or somewhere. So I think that, uh, as you said, it's a it's a mindset. And I think we're seeing more and more changes as uh, we stay longer in business and seeing things in the trickle down effect. And I don't think that we're going to go back to those 
um, weddings where everybody is so traditional. So that's pretty interesting. I did have another question for you, Susan, and that is in your marketplace, do you do a lot of or any number of all of same-sex marriages or communities where the bride and groom in a traditional marriage may have mixed um, people on their wedding parties where there's guys on the girls' side and vice versa? Yeah, you know, I thought we would see a lot more. We definitely have a healthy share of same-sex weddings, but we had, even before they were legal throughout the United States, for a short time, they were legal in Florida before federally it kicked in. And we saw a little bit of a bump, but you know, even before that, we were doing commitment ceremonies where even though it wasn't legal, they were doing a celebration of their relationship. So I'm surprised we didn't get a bigger boom, but I do. we do see quite a few every year. And yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying the trend of, you know, if the bride has a best friend who's a groom, uh, excuse me, who's a boy, a man, you know, he'll be on her side of the aisle. And if the guy has a really good friend who's a woman, she'll be on his side of the aisle. And I think that's great. And I think that it exemplifies, I think, in the truest form of what millennials are. They are inclusive. They don't, you know, they are not traditional in the way we think of things. And they don't follow tradition that everything has to be the way it's written in an etiquette book. They have some elements of tradition in their weddings, but they do things the way they want to. When we asked you some questions before this podcast, one of the things that inspired you was something from Anthony Bourdain, and I love food. Anything that has food related in it, you've got me hooked. I was wondering how you stay inspired and how you kind of keep going forward. And as we're talking about all these changes and stuff, we keep moving forward. You know, I stay inspired because I don't like to be bored. And I feel like I am much better at the hunt than I am at the maintenance, right? Once I've captured something, Kind of like, all right, I've done this. What's next? And no, obviously, to be a successful business owner, you have to help keep things going that are always going. And I'm so lucky that I have a team that's really good at doing that. My general manager, Karen, she's amazing at keeping the status quo going, which allows me to go explore and do new things. So I'm always looking. I'm always on the lookout for something interesting that seems to be worth pursuing and things, uh, something else that I can conquer. So inspiration for me comes pretty easily. Everywhere you look, there's something. Everywhere you look, there's something. Someone's always doing something interesting. But what what I took away from that Anthony Bourdain interview that I was telling you guys about is he said, you're all, you're, you may just be one step away. And the story is about how he was broke. He had lost any thoughts of ever being able to be current on his rent and current in his taxes and to be out of debt. And he was, he was a fry cook. And one day, I guess he wrote a funny article and his mom encouraged him to submit it to the New Yorker and the editor loved it and he published it. And his, day, his, his life changed in two days. I mean, then all of a sudden everybody was after him. You just never know when that next step is going to be the thing that's a breakthrough to make, you know, to completely revolutionize your entire existence. Well, and we we have an opportunity, any one of us, to do that with social media. You know, write a great blog or something that makes you laugh or, you know, somebody's going to pick up on that because all of that inspiration that we have and we share with the world and our clients is what gets us to the next step. And, you know, being one step away is really true. I remember hearing David Tutera say one time that... Um, we were at a conference and some gal asked him, well, where do you get your inspiration? And he looked kind of blank for a second. And then he said to her, look around the room, look at the wallpaper, look at the wall sconces, look at those flowers, look at the color of those drapes. He said, everything is inspirational. 
You just have to open your eyes. And it's again that same thing. It might be just one step away. Open your eyes. I think people get kind of jaded and they go in and out of places and, and they see something and they say, oh, I saw that on Pinterest or whatever. But that's not true because it hasn't been done for you. Yeah, and I have to tell you, going back to social media, I think that the most wonderful thing about the internet is the democratization of opportunities. And what I mean by that is it demolished all of the gatekeepers. Don't have to be accepted by a magazine to get attention. You don't have to make it through a television network to produce your, your films or your videos. You don't have to spend tens of thousands of dollars to be placed somewhere where people will see you. If you generate good content and you have a hook and something that's interesting, you have the opportunity to catch fire. And, you know, back when I started the business in 1992, those opportunities were not there. When I think about the business expenses that I had back then compared to now, it's kind of crazy. I mean, even when it comes down to printing materials, I used to have a massive budget for printing brochures and flyers and postcards and things like that. And that's just not something that you have to spend that type of um, capital on anymore. So, you know, figuring out how to use social media and, and websites, you know, the internet to get yourself out there is, um, it's truly an amazing thing. I mean, I, I have a lot of negative things to say about social media and the internet, but in that regard, it has made it so no matter who you are, if you have an internet connection, an idea, and a vehicle to get stuff out on the internet, uh, you, you can make a great success for yourself. I think that too is a, think back to when I started, which was much earlier than when you did. And I, again, how much money I spent in, in marketing. And today that's the availability is so wide open, which is very exciting for me. Okay, well, what are the trends in your area? You know, and what do you want to see go away? And what are you doing that maybe is new and fresh and would be welcome in the Northwest and to our listeners across the country? You know, I've learned to steer away from talking about things I'd like to see go away because <laughs> I, I came to a realization that anytime I say something like that, someone out there is thinking that was my dream and you just told me that what I'm dreaming is passe and, and you know, overdone. And I actually saw that unfold in a, in a group I'm in on Facebook of, of couples getting married at Disney and someone had posted an article that someone had written about all the things that were out and this girl woman posted like I feel I feel sick to my stomach these were all the things that I was excited about and was looking forward to having at my wedding and you know frankly to me one of the biggest and best trends should be is that you do a wedding that reflects your personality if you love mason jars, use mason jars. If you love purple and lace and whatever, use it. Um, as far as what I'm seeing over and over again now, I'm I actually, oddly enough, am seeing people wandering their way back to cas cascading bridal bouquets. I'm shocked. I never thought we'd found our, find ourselves back there. And we've had a couple of clients come through and send us photos with giant stargazer lilies and roses and put in those little bouquet holders and and you know like welcome back to to mid 1990s um so i've been surprised to see that i think people around here last year really embraced the pantone color of the year which was green i saw a lot of things done with green and now i'm definitely seeing purple come around Again, that was one thing, boy, there was a while there where like every wedding we did was purple and I thought we'd have a longer reprieve from that. But I'm definitely seeing purple um, on people's inspiration boards. So oh, I remember a I, lot I of purple there for a while. There. Um, intricate lighting, patterns on the walls, 
uh, done in light. I'm seeing a lot of that. I have a couple of weddings with light up dance floors, which are a lot of fun. So those are those are kind of the things I'm seeing here. I still see a great emphasis on on food, you know, making sure they have things that are beautifully presented. Uh, of course, dietary restrictions. So some of my clients are opting for stations rather than plated just so there are so many more options for people who are vegetarian or gluten-free or won't eat red meat or won't eat any meat, you know, whatever it is. I mean, there are so many different food restrictions that we have to deal with. So I'm seeing a lot more with regard to stations. When you talk food stations, do you have any food trucks in your area? You know, Portland is a huge food truck city. So I'm just curious about that. Yeah, we've, we've seen a few food trucks. We mostly find that, um, you know, I'm so hotel heavy that I work in, in resorts and the food and beverage has to stay prepared by the by the resorts. So they will do food truck inspired stations. So, uh, you know, we'll have a chicken and waffles station or and then we'll have, you know, something straight out of a food truck. So it's all the accompaniments, not just the food, if that makes sense. And maybe we'd have a crepe station, but again, based on food trucks, but still prepared by the resort. Well, that makes good sense because we can't uh, be downplaying the role of the resort and food and beverage. So we've talked so many different things today, and I'm just so glad that you had time to share with us. Are there any takeaways that you want to leave with our audience? I, I know you've written a couple books. Do you want to talk about those briefly? Are they still available for purchase? Yes, they are still available um, for wedding planners. Debbie from the Planners Lounge and I uh, put together a resource for creating budgets uh, for clients. So you can find that on theplannerslounge.com. Debbie is amazing. So much respect for her. Um, you can find my book, The Susan Sutherland Secret Personality Marketing to Today's Bride. It's on Amazon. It's on barnesandnoble.com. You can find that there. Uh, I have a book also to uh, for brides and grooms on planning their wedding, The Perfect Wedding Planner. You can find that on the usual places online, Barnes and Noble and Amazon. And you never know what I'm going to pop up with next. So that's for I'll, I'll sure. Keep you posted if I have another book <laughs> ready to go. <laughs> well, of course, Jason will have all of that in the show notes for our listeners because when we have an opportunity to talk with the experts in the industry, we like them to be able to share what they have um, with our listeners. So that's great. And I, again, I really appreciate you uh, being here today, Susan. And I know Jason's going to do a wrap up for us, but I'll see you in Las Vegas this year. Sounds great. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks. And thank you, Susan. We're so great to have you join us. And we look forward to seeing what's next in your wheelhouse. Thank you. All right, listeners. Thanks again for another awesome episode. We will be back with our next speaker next week. Until then, enjoy the rest of your day.